Good morning. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. Welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. It's day 340 of our three-year journey through God's Word, one chapter at a time, and we come now to Judges chapter 7. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've been teaching us in our journey through God's Word. We pray that you would be our teacher today here in Judges 7 as we continue the story of Gideon. Would you write this story on our hearts? Would you help us to see the truth? Help us to see Christ? Help us to see our need for salvation? Help us to know you better for the time we spend in your word together today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges chapter 7. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, at the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, And the Lord said to Gideon, Every one who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he set all the rest of Israel, sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the three hundred men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down by the camp, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. When Gideon came, Behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, 
This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow, and they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the three hundred trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and the army fled as far as Bethshittah, toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah, by Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as beth and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as beth and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They also killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Zoreb, Oreb, and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. That's Judges chapter 7, this middle chapter in this ongoing story of Gideon and his battle against the Midianites. So the Lord has raised up Gideon. It's taken a long time. A couple days ago when we were in chapter 6, we saw that Gideon had objections. He had tests that he wanted from the Lord. When he tore down the altar of Baal and the Asherah, he did so by night. I, I, I commented then that this is part of this downward spiral, the fact that the Lord not only had, had they been oppressed by the Midianites, but even after they began to call out, uh, to call upon the name of the Lord in Judges chapter 6, and the Lord sends a prophet to them, telling them, I told you not to fear any of the gods around you, but you're doing that. They still don't repent. Even Gideon's own father, Joash, still has a, a altar to Baal and an Asherah. And when Gideon tears these things down, they're ready to stone Gideon. So these people are far from faithful. And another indication of how faithless the people of Israel are is that they have assembled here an army of some 32,000 people. There's over 100,000 Midianites who are 
uh, camped along the valley and around. And even though the Israelite army would be outnumbered three to one in battle, God says, you have too many people. Verse two, the people with you are too many. And why? It's because if they win the battle with a great army of 32,000, the Lord says they're going to boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. They're going to claim the victory for themselves and not honor the Lord as their deliverer. And that is not acceptable. That is not what they need. And that is not what the Lord wants. And so Gideon is told, you got to whittle it down. So the first thing Gideon does is send home everybody who's afraid. And 22,000 people are afraid. 10,000 people are left. Even the 10,000, even though they would be outnumbered more than 10 to 1, still the Lord says this would be too many. And so there's a test. Go and drink the water. Most people, right, um, 9,700 people, they kneel down to drink at the water. Only 300 men scoop the water up and bring it to their lips and lap it like a dog. Now, there is a difference here in this posture. It, you're in a much more vulnerable position. It's much less alert and watchful uh, to bend over and drink directly from the stream. You're, you're basically helpless. And you're much more on the alert. You're much more guarded if you bring your hand up to your mouth. But I don't think that's the main point we're supposed to get from this. I think the main point we're supposed to get from this is that God's getting it down to 300 people because he wants the people to be so outnumbered that there's no way in the world that they would take credit for it. And then to assure them of their victory, but also to make sure that the Lord would even more get credit for it, the Lord tells Gideon to go down to the camp at night and observe. And he goes down and he sees this just un unnumberable multitude of Midianites and Amalekites, people of the east. They've come from across the Jordan. And he hears a dream being told of a barley cake. And then the interpretation that this is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all his camp. We see that there in verse uh, 14. And so Gideon takes this as his final, final confirmation. The Lord has given uh, the host of Midian into your hand, is what God says. And so, or what he goes back and tells the people. And so they go and they do it. And uh, they have this, this strategy, which is actually pretty ingenious. They have 300 men, 300 trumpets, 300 empty jars and torches inside the jars. And all in unison, there will be the blowing of the trumpet, the breaking of the jar, and the lifting of the torch, 300 of them all around the camp of the Midianites. And the idea is to project that you are an overwhelming force because the idea is to make them think each one of these trumpets and each one of these torches represents an entire company of people, an entire platoon, battalion, company, division, whatever. A whole big group of people are coming in behind each one of these trumpets. And the sound of 300 trumpets would be pretty loud. 
But the reason why the people panic is because these kinds of dreams and messages have worked their way through the Midianites and the Amalekites that that the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, the son of Joash, is going to come and take down the Midianites. And so that's why the people shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And it works. Everybody in the camp panics. They all turn on each other. They start to attack each other. And then they just flee out of there. So without Gideon and his men having to strike a single blow with any sword, the Midianites and the Amalekites all attack each other and then all flee. And then it's a matter of pursuing, right? And we'll see that tomorrow, uh, the pursuit of the men who are fleeing. But this is the Lord's great victory. This is one of many, many places in Scripture where we're taught not to think about things from a human perspective, not to reason about things on a merely human level, but rather we are to see things with the eyes of faith and we are to understand that the Lord is at work even in unexpected and unusual circumstances and that the Lord is going to work deliverance for his people in the way that he ultimately sees fit. And of course, ultimately, this pattern being established over and over again, whether it's baby Moses being stuck in a basket of reeds in the Nile River and then being a murderer and a fugitive, but leading the people out, or whether it's Gideon here as this um, you know, very reluctant judge or later in judges, we'll have Samson, who's a very immoral judge, David, who's the least of the sons of Jesse and who's a shepherd boy and yet who kills Goliath and who leads the people to great victory. Over and over again, we see this pattern. Ultimately, they're setting us up for the most unexpected deliverance of all, the most unlikely hero in the entire story, which is the son of God himself, who comes into the world, not with, not with royal uh, accolades to be in a palace, but as a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger, who then grows up to become a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, who embraces a cross as the instrument of defeating his enemies by his own willing submission unto death. The son of man, the man of sorrows, the one who is crucified under Pontius Pilate, is the ultimate hero of the story because God works salvation in unexpected ways through weakness and through suffering for his own glory. We apply it in our lives to think you can't look at your life from a merely human perspective and think, well, I need to do this, this, and this because that makes sense and this makes sense and the world works this way and the world doesn't work in that way. If you do that, you're going to end up being selfish and manipulative and distorting the truth to get what you want and living for yourself and pursuing the American dream and all those other things that would make you just like the world. But Romans 12 tells us not to conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And within the kingdom of God, love for others, sacrifice and service and humility and generosity and gratitude are the things that matter most. And those are the things that God uses to change hearts and minds. And he uses the foolishness of preaching to set captives free. He uses prayer to change the world. He uses the gospel to transform nations and cultures and peoples. Because he is the Lord 
who redeems in his own way and for his own glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this very unexpected battle and this very unexpected delivery that came deliverance that came exactly the way that you said it would. It wasn't unexpected to you because you're always working things out according to your sovereign decree, your eternal purpose and will. Help us to trust you and not ourselves. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to honor Christ and not ourselves. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, tomorrow we'll move on to Judges chapter 8. Hope you can join us for that. And as always, of course, have a blessed day in the Lord.